0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Dw reward prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Block talk radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. We're a few minutes late, but that's the that's the price that you pay um when you're doing stuff on the cheap. In any event, um welcome to the Word on Wednesday. Um I am Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and we are set to finish a goal, um, a study that we started well over 15 months ago. We started out in the book of 1 Samuel, and what we wanted to show is, we wanted, first of all, to dig into the treasure of God's word to see all of the things that god has done to bring us to a point of of a blessing Um, we studied the history of israel we studied how at the time during the time of judges how they were a scattered nation even though they were in the promised land they were not functioning as one we talked about the need for unity we talked about how, when you're not unified, how the door is always open to the enemy. And we showed you, we showed everybody what it was like to, to, to do your own thing. And now, as we we proceeded to through, we showed how God had a plan for them to bring them together, uh, unifying them. We talked about the first king Saul. We we showed you that Saul. Though the people asked for a king, God gave them Saul because they asked for a king who was like all the other kings. And so, when we got a chance to we got a chance to walk through the life of Saul to see the mistakes that he made, to see all of the things that he was doing uh, incorrectly, um, we got a chance to see the great military strategies that God utilized to bring that nation together, to bring them away from defeat. we—it uh, was It's just been a wonderful journey. And then we saw the ideal king, the king that God selects, the king that God anoints. We got a chance to see David, and we got a chance to see how God took him from the pasture, this man after God's own heart, this little boy who was so disregarded by everyone, that even by his family, and they didn't even get invited to the dinner with Samuel and how Samuel had to send for him. We, we've gone through, we've explored, we've seen the ups and downs of David, we've seen the interaction of David and Saul, we've seen the disobedience of Saul, the faithfulness of David, and now we've come to a point where, where, where we end this study. And I think it's, it's really interesting how this study ends. And so before we dive into it, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then I want to invite, some, I want to invite people who don't know Jesus to uh, ask him to be their Lord and Savior. Let's accept the gift of God. And then we'll d- dive into the study, and we'll finish it off. For those of you who are still getting your Bibles, just grab your Bible. We're going to be at um, 2 Samuel chapter 24. So let's bow our head in a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. And we come to thank you. We come to bless you. We come to praise you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for your faithfulness as we have gone about 15 months, week in and week out, studying your word and being led by your spirit into the truth of your word. We thank you for that. We further thank you, O oh God, that, that you have taught us and that we have grown in you. We've grown closer to you and we see you in an even more light, uh, better light than before. Thank you for that. Now, God, as we complete this study, we thank you for your faithfulness with us. Every week that we've come together, you have given us new insights into your word. Not that we know it, but that we have been in it. So thank you for that. Now, God, complete your mission. Complete your mission in us by speaking with us tonight and showing us how we can walk upright before you and be better men and women of God because of you. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I want to ask somebody today is, if you died today, what would happen to you? Do you think you'd just cease to exist? Or do you know for a fact that you would be with the Lord? One way you can make sure is to take the gift that he gives us through Jesus Christ. And what happened? Jesus died on a cross for our sins because our sins had separated us from God. Our sins had caused us to be disconnected from our creator, but God in his infinite wisdom because of his love and mercy wanted to find a way to get back his creation. And the way to get back his creation and not violate his holiness is to pay for the sins of mankind because the wages of sin are death. And so rather than reward us with what we actually deserved because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God says, no, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay for the sins of all mankind. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus' death satisfies the penalty of sin. And in order to take advantage of the gift, we have to, one, believe that Jesus is the son of God. Two, confess him as our Savior. Three, accept that gift. That's it. You don't have to send any money in. You don't have to uh, uh, go start turning handstands. You don't have to do anything except believe and make that confession of faith. For the Bible teaches us, if thou shall confess the Lord Jesus, you can be saved. That's it. It's a belief, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that's what you want to do today. And how do you do it? Simple. It's a very, very simple process. If it's in your heart and you really believe it, then say that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. And you are saved. Simple as that. Now, what do you do after that? Well, then I want you to go and I want you to find another Christian or a church, or a pastor, and say to them, I have confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, and I've asked him to be my Savior, and I'm saved. Now what do I do? And that person that you go to, that place that you go to, that pastor that you go to, has already been prepared for you. They're ready for you. And they will then begin to explain salvation in a, in a much more clear way and even further, They'll teach you what the next steps are for you. They'll teach you how to walk with God. They'll show you how to work with it in the Bible and see what God has said. They'll teach you how to pray so you can get closer to God yourself. Because it's not about you having a relationship through another person, but it's about you having a relationship with God himself. Amen? So if you've done that, welcome to the family of God. I, I I, I can't love you and I wish I could get close and hug you and, and be that person that God has prepared to, to lead you, but I apparently I'm not, but you're saved and you are my brother, you are my sister. Welcome. Amen. Now with that said, let's get into the word. And it is the word tonight is gonna again, turn in your Bibles or to Second Samuel chapter twenty four. This is the final chapter. And I know some of you are saying, "Woo, we've been here a long time. Fifteen months is a long time. And I thank God for your faithfulness in following. So Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 reads as follows, and I'm reading out of the NIV tonight. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of my Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab And the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. After crossing the Jordan, they camped near... Well, let me stop at verse 4. Okay. So what's going on here? These first four verses tell us that, first of all, that God was angry with Israel about something. And so he incited David against him. So he turned the king on the people by having him count the people. I mean, what's wrong with that? So David decides he's going to count the people. And God says, and it makes no sense tell you what we need to do to really really see what's going on and and uh, and why would God tempt David to do something wrong? Something's not right here. We're missing something. And you know the way we can find out find it out. Let's take a look turning your Bible over because Chronicles is going to give us some more information that we don't see here in um 2 Samuel 24. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, I believe it is. Turn there, and you'll see that we get more information. Here, I'm at 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel. Hmm, interesting. So, 2 Samuel 24 says the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David, and God incited David. Whereas 1 Chronicles 21 says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So, now wait a minute. What's, what's, what gives here? Well, you got to understand Hebrew thought. Hebrew thought everything that happens is connected to God. God is the ruler of the universe and nothing that happens can happen if God does not allow it. So what happens here is God allows Satan to incite David or to tempt David to sin. God steps back because of something that Israel does, and he allows the king to be tested in such a way that the king sins. Now, the thing that you have to understand is that that Satan is a 24-7 kind of person, and he is always seeking to tempt us towards disobedience. That has been his M.O. from the beginning. In the garden, what does he do with Adam and Eve? He tempts them to disobedience. He tempts them to not walk in the blessings that come from obedience, but instead he wants to draw them away from the blessing into a curse. When we look at this passage, when we look at the passage in 2 Samuel, um, there's a number of reasons, there's a number of ways that, that, that Satan could have tempted David, and we don't know specifically what was on David's mind. When, 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 when he made this error, because it was an error, and, and I'm going to tell you why it was an error. Okay, first of all, could, it, did Satan use David's pride? I mean, David was whooping up everybody, and now he's going to, in his pride, say, I got. I wonder how big my army is, because maybe it's time for me to stop playing defense of the land and start and be David the conqueror and go out beyond the land that God has promised me, beyond the space that I have to take to defend Israel. Maybe it's time for me to go on a conquest and maybe I'll go north into the the, the area that, that's occupied by Persia or I'll go north, um, north east, into the the area that's occupied by Babylon, and maybe I'll take their land. Maybe he is smelling himself to such an extent that he is going to go beyond the will of God for Israel. We don't know. We don't know what caused him to do what he did, but we do know that he did it. And sometimes our own pride and our own ambition will supersede the will of God, and we will walk outside of his will because we think we can. That could have been the way he ended. Then the other thing that could, have, that could have opened the door to this calamity is David not paying attention to the word. It was not illegal to 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 count the people it wasn't illegal at all? there was a way that it was supposed to be done. There was a way there was activities that should happen when you take a census of the people. Turn over to um, Exodus chapter thirty and and you know although we can 't agree w- why. We don't. Number one, we don't know why God was mad at Israel. Uh, nine chances out of ten, it had something to do with them violating His word. And we we do know that David does violate the word of God by the way he took the census. Um, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus chapter thirty is going to give us some information that we need. To help us understand this passage, Exodus chapter 30, here. Exodus 30, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you take a census of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on them when you number them. Each one who, who crosses over to those already counted is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 10, 20 geras. This half shekel is an offering to the Lord. All who cross over, those 20 years old or more, are to give an offering to the Lord. The rich are not to give more than a half a shekel, and the poor are not to give less than you, less than when you make the offering to the Lord to atone for your lives. Receive the atonement money from the Israelites and use it for the service of the tent of meeting. It will be a memorial for the Israelites before the Lord, making atonement for your lives. So when David sends the commanders who disagree, who disagree with what he is doing out to count them, Out to count the the fighting men, they were supposed to pay a half a shekel as they were counted. As they were counted, they were supposed to pay a half shekel for atonement, for a covering, for a ransom for their lives. They didn't do it. David knew it was supposed to be done. David is ignoring the word of God. How do you know that David knew that it was supposed to be done? Because David is a man of the word. David is God's king. David fits the requirements of the king. And one of the requirements of the king was what? That he had a scroll with the word of God on on it at all times, and he was supposed to rule. He was supposed to make his decisions according to the word of God. David didn't do it. David didn't do it. And so they go from north to south, counting the people. And as they go from north to south, counting the people, nobody collects the half shekel. And so the people are uncovered, and now David has released a curse upon all of Israel. Go to verse five. Go to verse five. Uh let me get back to you. I wanna I wanna get back I wanna read I'm gonna stay I'm gonna read from um the second Samuel. Second Samuel twenty four, verse five is where I stopped at. Let me get back over there. So I'm going to be toggling back and forth between 2 Samuel and Chronicles. Because, again, Second Samuel will inform us. Oh, excuse me. 1 Chronicles will inform us about what and fill in the blanks of what's missing in 2 Samuel. After crossing the Jordan, they camped near Aora, south of the town in the gorge, and then went through Gad and on to Jazer. They went to Gilead and the region of Tatum, Hoshni, and on to Danjan and around towards Sidon. Then they went toward the fortress of Tyr and all the towns of the Hivites and Canaanites. Finally, they went on to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. After they had gone through the entire land, They came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, 500,000. So what they come up with is a count of fighting men of 1.3 million fighting men. Watch what happens. After the census, Is completely over. After it's completely over, what does the word say? David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. Don't jump yet. Don't jump. Jump over because there's more information here that we can get uh, because Joab does something here uh, that's reported in Chronicles. That's not reported in 2 Samuel 24. Here, read. It. let me go over here and read it. I'm going to go to verse 4, 1 Chronicles 21. And I'm trying to reboot. Oh, isn't this something? I hope you can hear me because I'm going to keep going. The king's word, however, overruled Joab, so Joab left and went throughout Israel, and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Now, in verse 8 it says, Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, Take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Let me go back over to, to, to um, 2 Samuel 24. David was, Verse 10, David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men, and he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you. Take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Hang on. I'm going to... Okay, we're back. I'm at verse... Um, I'm at verse... 10. And... I jumped over before we, before we were interrupted. I jumped over to tell you something to show you something over in, um, in uh, uh, First Chronicles 21. Verse six. But Joab, after all the census has gone out, but Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin, because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. So Joab, he still doesn't do. What did I just do there? Oh, there's starting to live video. So Joab still doesn't do what God has told him to do. But instead, I mean, what David told him to do, because rather than count all of the fighting men, excludes the fighting men from Israel, he I mean from Benjamin and Levi, and he continues on. Now, the next thing you want to see here is David's confession. David realizes, I don't know what made him realize that what he had done was wrong. Nope, he doesn't tell us. All we know is that something happens within David And David realizes, what I've done is the wrong thing. And he confesses, and he repents and asks for forgiveness. What we see here is the difference, once again, between David and Saul. When Saul failed to execute God's will and his word concerning the Amalekites, Saul made excuses and tried to get Samuel to cooperate with him to save face. David recognizes that what he has done is a sin and that he has opened up the door to the devil. And he goes to God and he says, I have sinned. David confesses. And he repents. So, so what does this mean to us? First of all, and I I told you in my post earlier this afternoon, disobedience, disobedience to the word of God, always opens the door for demonic activity. If you get nothing else out of tonight's lesson, when you fail to execute the word of God. When you fail to obey the word of God, when you fail to embrace the word of God, when you fail to trust the word of God, what you do is you open the door of your life to the devil. You give the devil the opportunity to come into your life and wreak havoc upon it. And our faith is tested, and often it is tested by Satan, by the enemy. It's the enemy that wants you to walk in darkness. It's the enemy that wants you to disobey God. It is the enemy that tries to entice you to do things that is going to hurt you. That's the devil. There is a spirit at work in the atmosphere constantly tempting you to disobey God, to not believe God, to refuse to walk in faith, and God allows the enemy to do that. He's allowed to do it. He's, they say, he's doing what he do. Every time he gives you the thought, oh, God ain't paying no attention to you. you going to do that. And you know better. And you know what the Holy Spirit has said. And you know what the word of God. And there's something inside of you, even when you don't know the word of God, called conscience, that, that makes you question, wait a minute, is this the right thing to do? And it's it's there all the time, telling you the difference between right and wrong, godly and ungodly. God allowed the enemy to stay in the land When when the Israelites first came into the promised land. We learned this last year, that God allowed that enemy to stay in that land to test them to see if they would break faith with God. God allows the enemy around your house, in your house, at your office, to do but one thing, and that is to test you. He's allowing it, but it's not God that's doing it. That's the enemy. Scripture teaches us, let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted by God. Because it's not God doing the tempting. How are we taught to pray? We are taught to pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into what temptation, but deliver us from evil, God. Keep that tempter away from me, and if he does come, deliver me from his evil influences. Paraphrase it, the Burns paraphrase, God, keep the devil off me, and if he do get to talking to me, then give me enough sense, give me enough Holy Ghost, give me enough light, slap me upside my head, grab me by the collar, and drag me away from him so I can continue to walk with you. That, I mean... In a nutshell, that's what David is experiencing. That's what we experience. Now, this thing won't act a fool today. Mm -hmm. Last lesson. I don't care how many times I have to do it, I'm finishing tonight. So. In the midst of all of this, verse 11, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. You see, God answers. God answers. and I mean, before David could get up the next day barely, first thing that happened, here's the prophet Gad. And Gad said, so Gad went to David and said to them, uh-oh, excuse me. It says, before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you? three days of plague in your land. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Woo, this remind me of, you know, when grandma tell you, you're getting ready to get a whooping. And go get a switch. That's literally what what God says to David. Pick your poison. You want to get your butt with an extension cord or a razor strap. You see, you've got, you bet and David David is I mean, this David is something else. Because David knows God and he says, Don't let me hand fall into the hands of a man, uh uh-uh. uh. David says, I'm putting myself in the hands of Of the Lord, because in his hand there's mercy. David is going to rely and trust in the character of God, in the God that he knows, because David remembers that God is a God of mercy. God always wants us to come to repentance because he's not willing that any man should perish. But God is not also a God of love and mercy. He's a God of justice, and David has violated the word of the Lord. And just like we explored several months ago, God will forgive your sin. God forgave David's sin with Bathsheba. He made atonement for David's sin, but David still had to reap because David had sown. Stop for a minute. There are things that are happening in our lives where God is waiting for us to repent. God wants us to repent. God calls us to repentance. But yet, and we know we're wrong. We know we're wrong. And rather than throw ourselves into the hands of a merciful Father, we will continue to walk down the path of the curse with the devil. God loves you so much that he's prepared a way for you to come back to him. In the Old Testament, it was sacrifices. In the New Testament, for us who people who are under a different covenant, who are under a new covenant, it's through the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Verse 14, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Hmm. How did Donnie McClurkin say it? Great is his mercy for me, his loving kindness toward me. We need to understand about the mercy of God. The mercy of God that basically says, I know you did it. And I know you don't deserve it, but take it. Take this anyway. David is relying on that mercy. So he says, and so verse 15 says, so the Lord sent a plague. This is according to his word. Because the people were unatoned un- for, the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning Until the end of the time designated And 70,000 of the people From Dan to Beersheba died When the angel stretched out his hand To destroy Jerusalem The Lord was grieved because of the calamity And said to the angel Who was afflicting the people Enough Withdraw your hand The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of our Una, the Jebusite. So the angel of God had gone through from Dan all the way north, south all the way to Beersheba. He had went from north to south, and 70,000 Israelites, died within roughly a three-day span because of this plague that who, the door was opened by David, by David's disobedience. How, how, what, wait, hold on. how many of us are experiencing a plague within our lives as people around us For no reason, I'm not talking about because they got old and they died or they ate too much chicken and clogged their arteries or diabetes or something or cancer took them out or something like that. I'm talking about unexpected death. We're talking about men who had previously been numbered for fighting, dying. All of a sudden, how many of us have a plague, a curse coming through our families and don't understand how the door got open. Who was the one that opened the door of disobedience? But yet it's happening. And we can look around us, and it's not just our families, but families all around us. as entire communities are wiped out because of some disobedience, because failure to uphold the word of God. Pray over that because I can show you, I can tell you how it happens, but I can't put my finger on how it's happening with you. But you have a connection to the Holy Spirit. You have a connection to God, and you can ask God, God, is the door open? Is the devil in here and if he is, what I need to do to get this thing stopped? Because when the angel of the Lord got to Jerusalem, God said enough. When the angel of the Lord got to the place that God had declared to be His own, when the angel of uh, the destroying angel got there, and God saw what He was about to do to Jerusalem, God said enough. Stop it. And then he begins to speak to David. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. David once again proves to be not only a man after God's own heart, but the man feel with compassion for the people of God. God wasn't about to kill David at that point in time. David was in the clear. Christians should have a heart, a heart not just with the concerns them, a heart that says that, that that says more than just, well, it ain't he ain't, yes, it ain't me. So you know, what can I do? they my, my my belly full my car paid for i got a roof over my head we should have so much compassion for each other that one can't fall without the other we should be like david ready to put our lives on the line especially if it's something that we have, have not done or something that we did that we shouldn't have done david's ready to put it he says they didn't do anything that was this is on me. does this remind you of what david how David prayed and confessed when uh, uh, with, in the scene with Bathsheba he says he comes before God he says it's me and me alone' Who has sinned? David doesn't come like Saul with a mouthful of excuses and say, "Well, the people made me do it." No, anybody made me do it. I did it. I did that. God, this is on me. And you know, we have to be willing and compassionate and truthful in our repentance. We have to be willing and passionate and truthful in our intercession. We have to be willing to intercede, and that's what we can learn from David right here. Come clean. No matter what's happening, come clean. Because God, you know, the reason why it's so easy for me to confess, I'm really not confessing. Well, yeah, I am confessing. Confession is to say the same as. So, yeah, I'm confessing. But I'm not giving him any new information. He already knew I did it. He knew I did it before I did it. So what are we hiding from? Why do we keep lying to ourselves? Why are we so comfortable living uh, living lies? and deceiving ourselves, and thinking we're getting over with God. God, no. So I just get my happy dappy up and go, as soon as I figure out that, you know, "Uh uh-oh, I messed up, or I'm caught. I'm not not sitting up there lying about, Lord, you know what I did yesterday? Something you told me not to do. And I know I'm in a little trouble with you. So we're getting ready to start out by saying, I messed up. I did it. I did it because I wanted to do it. I did it because I thought I was going to get away with it, and I know that was stupid, but I did it. And now, how are we going to get out of this? I'm getting, I need your mercy and I need your grace. And I'll do the same thing for, for anybody. As they say, when I'm praying for other folks, same way. I'm going to get in there and I'm going to try to help. But why is that? Because I'm going to reap what I sowed. And I know if I help somebody else, somebody somewhere trying to help me. And when I'm praying for other folks, I know folk praying for me. Yes, and that's that's what we do. Anyway, go to verse 24. We're going to finish it off. We're finishing it off now. On that day, after David has his conversation with the Lord, on the same day, On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Arunah looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arunah said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arunah said to, the, to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offerings, and here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king. Aruna also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing-floor and the oxen and paid fifty shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Now, there's a couple important pieces here. First of all, David, after he confesses, is instructed by the Lord how to restore The fellowship with God. And God is blessing David beyond just showing him the way to fellowship because it is at this point that God will pick the place to build his house. Yeah. And God will who previously told David that it was not for him to build the temple, allows David to purchase the site where the temple will be built and sacrifices will be offered to the Lord for a long, long time. I'll show you in just a second. I got about eight minutes left to do this, so I got to work fast. I want to go back over to um, First Chronicles twenty-one again, and I want to skip down to. I want you. To, well, I'm going to read from verse sixteen because there's more information. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth, with a drawn sword in his hand, extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, see that, that that detail wasn't there, David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down, oh, I wish I had time to comment on this, David said to God, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong, these are but sheep, they're defenseless, what have they done? O oh, Lord my God, let your hand fall upon me and my family, but do not let this plague remain on your people. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. One thing about Aruna the Jebusite. Notice he's a Jebusite. He was formerly an enemy of God. Remember when David takes Jerusalem from the Jebusites, and the Jebusites have been taunting them. Go back and read that again. So David went up in oh, oh hear this word. So David went up in obedience to the word that Gad had spoken in the name of the Lord. When Aruna was threshing wheat. He turned and saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Aruna looked and saw him, he left the threshing floor and bowed down before David with his face to the ground. David said to him, Let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague of the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. Aruna said to David, Take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give you the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all this. But King David replied to Arunah, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. David knows that he is coming before the king. He is coming for the king. Uh, before the King of Kings with a burnt offering a burnt offering to offer uh, to, to get atonement for the nation, but not only will there be burnt offerings, but there will also be offerings for to restore the fellowship, the burnt offering paid for the sin. the other offerings were offerings to God that would rest- that was requesting the restoration of fellowship. So David paid Aruna 600 shekels of gold for the site. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. God responded to David's prayers with fire from heaven. We missed that part. God answers by fire, a purging fire, a cleansing fire, a fire that announces that he has accepted the prayers of David and fellowship is now restored. Then the Lord spoke to the angel, and he put his sword back into its sheath. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite, he offered sacrifices there the tabernacle of the lord which moses had made in the desert and the altar of burnt offerings were at that time on the high place at gibeon but david could not go there because it before it but david could not go before it to inquire of the lord because he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the lord david had been separated from god Because of sin. Sin separates. But confession and repentance brings about the restoration of fellowship. God instructs David in his repentance. And basically what he says, David, I'm calling you to worship. It's not enough people of God, just to confess confess and repent. God calls us when we find out that we are wrong about something or our families are in the wrong. It's not enough for us to just confess and repent, but we must worship. We must worship. But what about the sacrifice part? God has given us a sacrifice. There is no more need for sacrifices we can come to him confessing and repenting by the blood of jesus who sacrificed once and for all who removed the curse by becoming a curse we can come through jesus christ and receive the forgiveness of god and restoration this and I'm done with this thing. David's a guy, a king, that valued, that knew that he couldn't live without God. We should know that in him we live, move, and have our being, and that it is impossible, it is impossible for us to live a life apart from him. So when our fellowship is interrupted, when it's broken, when the path of the devil when we walked in disobedience oh we should count it a blessing to know because it's God saying to us it's time for you to repent it's time for you to get it right it's time to, you come to take advantage of the blessing of repentance and restoration and having your fellowship restored it's time for you to come worship David's a worshiper. You are a worshiper. And you know the truth. And it is because of that truth that the Holy Spirit leads us that we are free and free indeed. Finally, what we'll learn if we continued over uh, in, into 1 Kings and as well as through Chronicles, we would find that God using David now to prepare the temple. In 22.2, so David, um, 1 Chronicles 22.2, so David gave orders to assemble the aliens living in Israel from among them, or excuse me, 21, 22.1. Then David said, the house of the Lord God is to be here and also the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. That's how we end. That's how we end this lesson. That God allows David to purchase the site that will be his permanent home, the threshing floor of Ariona. I pray that you've enjoyed this study. I pray that God used the time spent with me to be a blessing unto your life. I further pray that um, that you learn from this lesson that even though you are not perfect and even though you mess up that God has prepared a way through his son Jesus for you to come to him. God bless you and God keep you and may his face ever shine upon you. Father, we thank you for this time and for this study. We bless you In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.